Hello, friends. Greg Kokel here. And, um, man, this has been a crazy day, running like crazy. Actually, it's been a crazy week. I had a weird time <laughs> on a trip this weekend, not with my Christian friends that I met with, but uh, rather with uh, with uh, airplanes and, and uh, uh, rental cars and lost driver's license. That was actually the weekend before when I went to Detroit and left my whole packet of stuff. It's actually a little metal case that has my credit cards, my driver's license, the whole the whole nine yards in it. And uh, then, um, you know, I had to try to try to uh, try to fly without fly back without a driver's license. Last weekend, I had to try to um, what rent a car without a driver's license, and uh, it was it was just just crazy. But I got a note from LAX that they found my stuff, and I just jetted off to the airport just now. And actually, I'm still a bit out of breath running from the car getting here in time to be able to uh, do the show. But I made it, and here I am. And uh, but there's some other things on my mind too, and that is uh, things that frustrates me me a little bit, and uh, I. I I just, I, I'm not exactly sure how to uh, how to characterize this. I guess I get frustrated when people object to Christianity um, and raise objections or concerns for, in a sense, the wrong reasons. I, I have a book here. I'm not going to give you the title or the author because the book just came in, and it's a critique of evangelicalism, and I haven't read it. But um, like I do often with books, I'll, I'll just flip through and take a look at things. In fact, the solid ground that came out today is uh, is about how to read uh, less more. I think is the way I titled it. And the the idea is you, you you don't worry about reading a lot. Just worry about reading a few good things really well. And I give you some techniques to do that. Uh, much of it I got from um, the classic book, How to Read a Book. Um, but one of the things that is important is to just kind of skim through a piece before you commit yourself to reading it, and then you get a little sense of what's going on, and I was doing that here, and I'm reading in a chapter. I won't even read the chapter title, because again, I don't want to disparage the writer. I don't know his entire position, but I do know that the book is critical from a Christian perspective, person has good theological bona fides, as far as I can tell, from a Christian perspective of evangelicals, and that we pick and choose, and that we have certain ways of understanding the Bible, we ignore other parts of the Bible, etc., etc., etc. Well, this is true of everybody. It's not just true of evangelicals. It's true of everybody, okay? And uh, a big part of it is... um, I mean, we, for myself, I try not to be, in a sense, excessively partisan. Um, I think the way you know, who, you who have listened to the show um, a while, know that I try to be careful about the context and, and balancing things. That is, if I've got an issue, there's a lot of verses on it, they seem to contradict. I'm going to try to find a way to make sense of the issue in light of all of the biblical and relevant biblical evidence. And so I try to be even-handed, but I think everybody has a, has a, has a bias that they bring to the text, a, uh, which is a certain set of views. Uh, 
and it's called confirmation bias. And so you want to read the text in light of your already established views. But it's also possible, it seems to me, to be open-minded on that. Anyway, so my broader point is you're always going to find Christians, you can always complain about Christians not being entirely biblical. And sometimes it's because they haven't been careful. And sometimes they're overly, excessively influenced by their tribe kind of thing. And I I see that, all right. Um, But on certain issues, this is a concern to me. um, That is, you have theological points of view that are within the pale and across the spectrum. But when there's issues that have to do with cultural pressure, cultural pressure on Christians not to be Christian. Then I get concerned. I have given a talk, I've mentioned this many times on the air, I'll keep mentioning it, maybe more people ask me to come by and give it. I'm opening my Bible right now, looking at the yellow post-it, where I wrote the words, faithfulness is not theologically complicated. It's still on the inside of my Bible. I wrote it when I was with doing a show, or I was with Amy doing something, I don't know, but I was so frustrated because some of the things in the Bible that are controversial are not complicated theologically. They're difficult to be faithful to because of theological pressure, okay? And in that talk, I talk about five things. I talk about Jesus being the only way. I talk about abortion. I talk about gender. I talk about marriage, and I talk about sex. And I don't just beat up on gays. I talk about the biblical perspective of sex, because everything that's wrong with homosexuality, biblically, is wrong with every other kind of sex outside of God's plan. And sometimes that's not emphasized, I understand. But So I'm reading this line here, the first paragraph. Oh, here's one that deals with, um, you know, this. It, well, it's, it's, it deals with how evangelicals exclude people. The chapter starts, the message of Christ is open invitation, is an open invitation to all people to know God, to experience redemption, and to enter the eternal love of Jesus. Yet repeatedly, evangelicals find reasons to keep outsiders on the outside. Okay, let me just pause there. Um, I could probably think of examples in which this is the case, but this is a generalization that is, generally speaking, this is the case. The message of Christ is an open invitation to all people to know God, to experience redemption, and to enter into eternal love of Jesus. But that isn't where it stops. It is an invitation to follow Jesus, and following Jesus entails those things. It's an invitation for everyone to be rescued by what Jesus offers, but it's not a mere fire insurance policy. But and this is not my opinion. It's not my, like, I'm just throwing out some odd thing and I'm being iconoclastic. This is basic Bible. Follow me. So therefore, when we offer the, cons- the, the forgiveness that Jesus provides, we are not offering forgiveness in a vacuum. The, the kingdom is God's rulership, and when we invite people into the kingdom, we are inviting them into the way of the rulership of God in their life. Now, you can't get into that kingdom unless you surrender rulership at the beginning by acknowledging that you have not done so. 
that you have rebelled against your sovereign, you are guilty before him, and you receive the open offer of forgiveness made available for Jesus, not full stop. Rather, and then you follow him under the kingdom rules. Now, the kingdom has rules. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, we do not judge people outside of the church. Right. We don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians, but we expect Christians to live like Christians, which is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 there, the judgment begins with us. And then he's talking about exercising discipline in the church on those who violate the sexual values of the church and a whole bunch of other values. So it isn't, well, whoever will may come, and that's all. We give it all a shrug, and it's all a happy little get-together of everybody that's living in grace, and that's the end of it. No, there are rules to belonging. You become a member of the family, and the family has boundaries around it. There are moral boundaries, and the New Testament is thick with it. And these are people Jesus trained to follow after him that wrote the New Testament. And Jesus also the same way. So it isn't just, okay, we're just open, and there's no other requirements. Now, I have said, I said for many, many years, it's also in the story of reality. God catches his fish first, and then he cleans them. All right? But there is a cleaning. And you guys know this. You walk with Christ, you're going to get... Uh, what's the right word? <laughs> disciplined. That's the biblical word. Read Hebrews 12. God disciplines every child. What is that? That means he teaches you, and sometimes very aggressively, not to walk in sin, but to walk in holiness. So, therefore, it is not appropriate for Christians to have a sanguine attitude towards all kinds of sin that might come into the church by the people who are accepting salvation that's freely offered through Christ. Yet repeatedly, evangelicals find reasons to keep outsiders on the outside. I, I don't know anybody like that. I honestly don't know anybody. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people like that. This is the generalization, though, that's offered. We're looking to keep people out. And, the, and a little further down, we get an example of that. Evangelicals often treat homosexuality and transgenderism as a stimuli of exclusion, largely because of evangelical opposition to same-sex marriage and gender diversity, which has recently been a brutal frontline battle within a larger ongoing culture war. Okay, now let me just stop there. And again, I'm not sure where he's taking this. This is why I'm not identifying him. But I just want to talk, speak to the words as I read them now. Um, it, it's not clear at all to me that evangelicals treat homosexuality—well, uh, this is homosexuality and transgenderism, well, as a stimuli of exclusion, I'm reading here, largely because of evangelical opposition to same-sex marriage and gender diversity. Okay, notice how gender diversity—even using that word is a tip-off. There is no gender diversity in God's world. In God's world— 
human beings are binary sexually, just like they're bipedal. Now, we might have people that lose a leg or that are born without legs, but that doesn't mean human beings aren't bipedal. We don't call that locomotion diversity because there's some people who cut their foot off at their ankle or at the knee or at the hip or have both of them amputated because they, you know, don't see themselves as being bipedal. We don't say, well, that's bipedal. That is a locomotion diversity. Even the language that's being used here is playing into this notion. And then the, the larger ongoing culture war is the way it's characterized there. I want you to think about this. I think there was a, a time when the phrase culture war was appropriate back in the 80s. But that's certainly not the way I'm approaching these kinds of issues. Is there a, a battle in the culture? Of course there is. But it isn't Christians battling the culture. It is the culture battling the Christians. They, it used to be the case that when Christians would say Jesus is the only way of salvation, for example, that we were forcing our views on other people. Well, there was no forcing of a view. People could have whatever views they want. They could live any way they wanted regarding Jesus. We were just communicating that message as if it were actually objectively so. And therefore, if so, then it applies to everyone else just as much as it applies to the Christians who believe it in the same way that gravity applies to everybody, regardless of whether you believe in it or not. It's a feature of the objective world, okay? But still, because we are treating it as true in that sense, then we were forcing our views on other people, okay? You realize, of course, everything's changed now. The forcing our views on other people language now applies to the others who are not just holding a view contrary to ours that they think is true. That's always been the case. And we never complained because of the fact that they held a view contrary to ours that we thought that they thought was right and we were wrong. Now they are forcing the view on us. That is, you must act and live as if our view is true or else we are going to punish you. Now, you want to call that a culture war, fine, but it's not coming from conservatives. It's not coming from Christians. Christians are largely in a defensive mode, okay? And with regards to transgenderism and, and same-sex marriage, there is a reason that we are standing our ground, and insofar as these are policy issues or cultural elements that are being pressed upon us, we are saying no to this because it's inconsistent with the way God made the world, and therefore it's bad for the world. It isn't our view versus your view, and therefore your view is wrong and ours is right, and we want hegemony to our view. It isn't like a, a cultural things like that. This is like, like medicine. People are dying for foolishness. And we have an ant, ant, antidote to the, to the disease. Live right, live healthy, you won't be sick kind of thing. Well, what's right and healthy the way God set it up? When Jesus talked about marriage in Matthew 19, he's talking about divorce. Here's how he started his answer. Have you not, is either read or heard, that in the beginning he made them male, and female. 
Why did he start with gender? Answering a question about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Why did he start with gender? Because he's going back to the way God formed it from the beginning. Male, female, united to become one flesh, which is the activity that makes it possible to do another thing that God commanded there in the beginning, and that is be fruitful, multiply, and subdue. And the best way to be to fruitfully multiply is for a man and woman to be joined together in one flesh in a long-term, lifetime-committed relationship. Whatever God joins together, let no man tear asunder. Okay, that's Jesus. And that's a good thing. And every other variation, whether it's adultery or fornication or homosexuality or bestiality, all or divorce for no reason or for any reason, all of those are destructive to the order that God made. So are are biblical Christians concerned about same-sex marriage or about the transgender issues that are being forced upon our families and on our children and enforced in our culture in myriad of ways? Yes, they're concerned about that because it's destructive to human beings. It is not God's purpose. It violates human flourishing, which God intends for us. So when these things are set up as a, you know, a culture war kind of deal, you know, them against us, or in this case, us against them, we just haven't made things comfortable for them. Listen, the, we haven't started this fight. Oh, you might go back 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years and say, yeah, we're the ones who started the hostility. Well, whatever. I, I can't answer to that. What there was an attempt to be is consistent with God's purposes in the world, and some people took it too far. No question. That doesn't change the legitimacy of God's purposes or the importance of followers of Jesus to advance Jesus' views. Jesus was a Torah-observant Jew, and he wasn't silent on marriage and sex. There it is, Matthew 19. One man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. That's it covers everything. That one flesh part is the sex part, right? And that's where it belongs, right? In that relationship and nowhere else. And in that one, one, one characterization there, Matthew 19, Jesus rules out same-sex marriage. He rules out gender diversity, gender diversity as being appropriate. He rules out fornication. He rules out homosexuality. He rules out bestiality, and he rules out adultery. It's all taken care of right there. So I, th- I think it's not helpful to characterize, especially for a Christian, to characterize this enterprise as a culture war, as if we are warring with the culture. We are advancing what's good and right and true, and we ought to be doing that just as Jesus did. And Jesus ran into a lot of hostility with the so-called culture warriors of his time on the other side. They killed him because he was countercultural, holding to what was true and right and good over and against the deviations that were characteristic of his time. It's so ironic that people want to take Jesus, take, yeah, Jesus and put him on their side, the other side, and call us the Pharisees. Jesus was defending biblical truth, not empty 
what would turn out to be a secular understanding. That is, all the religious codes that were made up by the people he opposed that undermined the basic foundational truth of God's Word. That's all we're talking about here. I don't want to get in battles with people, but I don't want to have all of this stuff crammed down my throat and crammed down the throat of my children or other people's children, for that matter. My kids aren't in public school, but it doesn't matter. This is a harm to our community. So it's entirely appropriate when we are pushed hard and we are demanded to affirm something that's just flat out wrong that we say no. And there's not so many saying no. Not in the church. They're saying yes. He continues, regardless of how individual Christians might relate to homosexual or transgender individuals, the perception is, okay, this is really important, the perception is that evangelicalism is not a safe place for such people. Rightly or wrongly, evangelicals must reckon with the reality that they are perceived as intolerant, judgmental, and exclusivist. Okay? Why do we have to govern ourselves by the perception of others regarding our views. Now, you folks know me well enough to know that I think being sensitive to others' concerns is really important. We are exclusivist, for example. That's one of the words. Why are we so exclusivist? Because Jesus was exclusivist. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He who believes has life. He who does not believe, the wrath of God abides on him. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus, and he's got a lot more like that. So if we're perceived as exclusivist, this is a good thing if what you're talking about is salvation. This is a good thing. The people who are, that follow, that are identify as Christians and are not perceived as exclusivists, the question is, why not? What is the message that they're communicating? Is it the message of Christ? Why are we perceived as intolerant? Because we believe that some things are sinful, that the culture is championing. Jesus did the same thing. Now, he was in the concept of tolerance and tolerance you know, wasn't in play at, at his time. But he, he spoke truth to power. And this is all we're doing. We're speaking truth to power. The left is in power. They tell lies with regards to God and Jesus. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, if you're screaming those lies at us, we're going to say what is true, or at least we're going to hold to our convictions about what is true, and we're not going to live according to lies. Judgmental? Well, I think Christians can get excessively judgmental. Nobody is more judgmental than the left, though. The LGBT crowd is the most judgmental on the planet, and they're the biggest bullies. This is a human problem. See, my concern is this characterization of the way that people see evangelicals. I think it's probably accurate, but it, it, it doesn't take into consideration whether it is, a, is, it is just or an unjust characterization. 
You know, I was interviewed once for um, Newsweek uh, many years ago, and here's the question that was asked of me. Why is it that you Christians only care about homosexuality and abortion? I said, that's not all we care about. That's all you write about. Now, there's nothing that I said in that 40-minute interview that ever entered the article because it wasn't the narrative they were pushing. Point being, how is it that most people know about Christians who aren't Christian and aren't involved in Christian circles? How is it that most of them know about Christians? They know about it because of the press and movies that depict Christians consistently in an unpleasant fashion. So if Christians have a have a PR problem, okay, and therefore what? We have a problem to solve? Wait, if we are walking with Jesus and reflecting, standing firm for truth, and not buying into the lies, and we are then, um, and, and that is the only aspect of Christianity that gets promoted in the news— and not all the incredible ways that Christians are helping people all over the world who are in dire need of help. If that's all that's communicated, of course, people are going to say, you're intolerant, you're judgmental, and exclusivist. That's our perception of you. Well, I don't know what we can do about that. Because the things that we're accused of being intolerant on, judgmental on, and exclusivist on are things that are bedrock Christianity. And they actually are the issues that, spiritually speaking, are ground zero in our, we want to call it culture war fine, against those views which are destroying human beings. Transgenders have 20 times the rate of suicide as non-transgenders. Oh, see you Christians, see what you're doing? You're killing all these people. Really? Somebody's killing themselves because a Christian won't use the right pronoun? When the rest of the world is cheering them on in every area you can find, and every attempt to say anything contrary is being brutally silenced, yet the little peep that gets through by some people who won't go along with that is actually the reason people are killing themselves? You believe that? No, that's what they're told. That's what we're told is going on. The most persecuted group in the country, per, most persona non grata, I don't want to overstate this, is the Christians. We're not killing ourselves. There's a different reason why the suicide rate is so high, and it has nothing to do with our disapproval. Something's wrong that needs to be fixed. It is not God's purpose, and those dear people ought to be helped, not encouraged in their pathology, because that's what it is. Anyway, I've probably spoken too long, almost a half hour here. I have a lot more to say about this, but uh, maybe we'll get to more of it later. Um, maybe to sum up, It's critical, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, faithfulness is not theologically complicated. 
we want to be gracious, kind, winsome, attractive, but stalwart, standing firm, having done everything, stand firm, Ephesians 6, and to stand tall, proud. That we are associated with Christ and we are being obedient to him. And when the culture pushes back on us and said, you must be like us, and we just say, no, we're not going to be like you. And as much as you promote those kinds of things that are destructive to other valuable human beings who are image bearers, we're going to oppose those things. And then we let the chips fall. Greg Kokel here. Stand to reason. Back in a moment. What if I'm wrong? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There are times when we feel confident about our convictions, but there are other times, if we're being honest, when we encounter doubts that leave us wondering if we got it all wrong. This has caused many to deconstruct their faith. If you can't give a why to your faith, you won't be able to give a why not to your doubts. In other words, if you don't have a Christianity anchored in what's true, you will always be at the mercy of your doubts. That's why we're excited to announce this year's Reality Conference. Our theme is Seek and You Will Find. We will equip students to navigate their doubts by seeking answers to their toughest questions. Because when you seek answers, you find truth. It's time to examine the foundations of our faith because a strong faith requires a strong foundation. Join us at one of this year's Reality Student Apologetics Conferences. For more information, visit realityapologetics.com. As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And Red Pen Logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, Red Pen Logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. Just a reminder about uh, MSP Minneapolis coming up, uh, reality, in a week and a half. We have over 3,000 young people already signed up. 3,064 was the last count. We got 10 days to go. Uh, We could hit 3,800 for sure. So um, climb on the bandwagon if you're within striking distance of, of Minneapolis, Grace Church, Eden Prairie. I'm telling you, this is a fabulous reality. 
Now, I know I've said that about other ones in the past, and they have been fabulous, but this one's better than those. It's the best one we've ever had, in my view. And uh, even if, I I don't know what we're going to do the following year, because this thing is so creative, and it's so substantive in terms of addressing issues uh, that many young people are facing, many of the kinds of things I was just talking about. Um, being faithful to Christ in the midst of challenge and in the midst of uh, hostility and, uh, you know, and cultural pushback, and then being accused of being the bad guy. Really? Huh. Okay. Anyway, we'd cover the bases. So go to uh, realityapologetics.com if uh, you'd like to uh, sign up for that. And we also got February, Dallas, March, Philly, April, Augusta, Georgia. Uh, let's see. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything that's happening tomorrow. Actually, John Noyes will be on To The Point Live next Wednesday. That's November 9, okay, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And uh, let's see. Not sure what his topic is going to be, but he's been doing this on a regular basis. Um, and let's see. Oh, we need a new front office manager. Um, I was uh, remiss by not mentioning that in the past. So uh, so we're taking apps on that, and uh, it's a person that does a lot of different things in the office here in Southern California in the Long Beach area. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about your commute and you're thinking about the possibility of working with us. Okay, uh, that person will manage office operations, and uh, which includes um, – Customer service, correspondence, supplies, filing system, some light accounting, uh, supervised, maybe small staff when you see us, things go on. But you can go to WSTR.org, uh, dubs at STR.org forward slash careers. So that's STR.org slash careers for more information. All right. L- having covered all those bases, let's go to your calls. And we're overwhelmed with them here, which is great news. Um you want me to go to number two? Yeah, that's why you're okay. Let's go to Kevin in Florida somewhere. Kevin, where in Florida are you? I am near Jacksonville, specifically Callahan, Florida. Oh, okay. You're up up north there, up in the Panhandle. Yeah, right. okay. yeah. I'm I'm from I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm, we've talked a couple times. Oh, okay, and, good. Well, glad. And to it's talk. a it's a pleasure to talk with you again, Mr. Kokel. Thank I you. Appreciate it. and and it's really wonderful that you're training and equipping young people and uh, God bless you and everyone who's Thank you. involved with that. Thanks that a lot. is, yeah, okay. The most well, important yeah. generation is always the next generation, right? Oh, it sure is, mm-hmm. my friend. And I, I, I don't want to start talking about that because I, that's not what I call, but um, sure. it's, it's really, it's hard not to talk about that. And actually, <clears throat> well, this kind of leads into that. What, one of the things I just wanted to touch on is, your thoughts on denominations and with everything that's happening in the culture and the educational system and the open season attack on the children and the family and the state of the family, it's just like the perfect storm. They're just sitting ducks right now. Mm -hmm. And and so one of the, and I'm, I am getting involved in that launching a ministry to teach and train and equip children and the Mm -hmm. parents because the problem with parents or the children's problem with parents. So it's just a mess right now. But the denominations, I'm, 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 what I'm noticing, and I'm just one person, so I'm not everywhere, is what, what is your thoughts on that? It, it's the denomination. It, it just, it, it kind of seems to me that 
it causes some division. And we all need to be collectively working together. You know, there's so many children that need help. And, and it's just like there's so many different denominations. And it, it from I've observed, my observation is it, it, so, it, 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 um, it just creates some division. And so we're not really working together as we should. You know, okay. I've got churches all, all, all over. And, I mean, the siren should be going off with everything that's happening right. and how serious it is. Right. It's 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 like a nightmare. I I don't get used to. It. I wake up. I go, and I'm I'm just getting ready to launch, and I'm waiting for my retire early retirement to kick in, and I can't wait because yeah. <laughs> it's it's like okay, I gotta get like I gotta, you know, he you gotta. We're all we all have gifts. The Bible talks about this, and we have to prioritize. And turn off the TV and the sports and all. We are in a battle. Okay, got it. Okay, let, let so, me let me okay. offer. Let me ask a question though. When you says it causes some division, I'm not exactly sure, sure what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. relative well, to the concern that you raised. Right. In working together, look, we have. If, if okay, uh, denominations just seem to stick with their own, you know, brand and right. and and so we are all followers of Jesus. Okay, so we need to set the titles aside. I mean, well, followers of Jesus maybe is a title too, but you know what I mean. So we we uh, and we need to work together rather just with our own denominations. You see, that's what I'm asking. Okay, and I just so, wanted your thoughts on yeah, that. Sure. That, uh, I, yeah, sure. I I don't uh, I don't see the problem that you see okay or i am not i don't know that what you just described is actually a problem so let me give an illustration um you've got the uh la county rescue um whatever you've got one in ventura uh you've got uh, the orange county rescue mission for example or is that their title? And we have friends who work there, and and uh, we support those. These are all these different groups. Okay, they're working hard, working to solve a particular problem. All right, uh, I don't see any benefit in them trying to all connect into one larger network where they're all working together mm-hmm. when individually they're working really hard to solve the problem right. in their community. Right. And when right. you try right. to right. network everything together, and and, yeah. and I'll tell you who tried this once was Chuck Colson. Sure. Yeah, and right. uh, they try to network everything together. It just didn't get off the ground. It was called the movement, and it was uh, about 14 years ago, and about yeah. 100 of us that were involved in worldview uh, leadership were invited to go to Washington, D.C., and there was a lot of heavy-duty players there, and it was a great effort. But the problem was you had so all these uh, you know alpha males or alpha females, as it were, that yeah. were being asked to surrender their goals for their individual organization and somehow all work together in a very vague sense. Mm-hmm. And it, it never got off the ground because I thought it was ill-conceived, uh, though it was mm-hmm. right-hearted. And I, yeah. I, I feel right. the same way when it comes to churches. I mean, th- there are churches all over are doing good things. Yes. The difficulty, yes. I think, is when you have churches that are, are are actually as a group or even a denomination are affirming on biblical things sure. that puts them at odds sure. with biblical christians in other sure. churches you know and this yeah. would be the gay affirming churches and there's like a ton of those yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, that that or or that are progressive in other ways that undermine vital things that has yeah. to do with christianity so that yeah, i yeah, think yeah. is a problem yes 
But for those faithful churches, most of them are working hard within their purview, within the, right. where their boots on the ground, to yes. help the poor, to evangelize, to do uh, send money where it's needed, and so this is why I, as long as we're all on the same page with what we're trying to accomplish, take take stand a reason here. We do what we do, okay, and then you've got reasons to believe, and then you got uh, reasonable faith, and they do what they do, and you got other organizations. Yes. Now yes, there yes, are yes. times because of the nature of our work where we cross paths and we're encouraging of each right. other, but we're doing our thing, they're doing their mm-hmm. thing, and yeah. even though we're not networked it doesn't mean our efforts are somehow undermined. And that's the way I look at the church in general, okay? Yeah, right. So I think that this thing that you're expressing, well, you're two it, things. It, you're looking at the problem, and it's a real problem, a cultural problem, but I think we're yeah. all doing our best to address it as we can. And yeah, we yeah. network a lot, but we're still our own organization. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, excellent insight. That really is, that really is, great good information there i i think what i was i was tying it into what's happening right now in the sense of urgency and um it's where i'm from like staying right now it 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 just i don't think they really acknowledge how serious things are and how dangerous things are i think are some right are now. like that i think that's yeah, the case sure, depending sure, on it's sure. bible belt for example i was in north carolina over the weekend and uh yeah everybody's a christian quote unquote you know sure, yeah. plus you they're it, yeah. largely friendly to christianity they haven't been hammered right. yet by some of these things yeah. but it's all coming and yes, uh, i yes, do think yes. that is a concern and this is okay. why we're trying to spread the word and right. encourage and help and provide tools that will enable Christians right. to stand tall for Christ. But you had another concern also. Yes, quickly. sir, I did. And, okay, so, um, it, okay, is it is it ever okay to separate from your wife or husband if there is a, uh, a problem, like a d- addiction problem, and there's children involved, two young mm-hmm. kids? Well, it is, and, o- it is it, the simple answer is, yes, it is okay there it's are times when it's appropriate. It's, 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 doc, it's, yeah, sorry. I just, that's a kind of an important piece of information. Um, even though it's prescribed, it still causes right, yeah, a I lot had, of, yeah. Okay. I hadn't got to that part yet. Oh, but, okay. But so I'm just saying their first step is there is a propriety to separation under certain circumstances, all right? And Paul right. talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, but he doesn't go into a lot of details about the circumstances. You had mentioned right. now we have prescription drug abuse and addiction. We have children that are involved, and my presumption is, because you brought the children up, that they are being negatively influenced. They are being harmed uh, as a result of th- of this circumstance. Sure. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so I think there is a place um, yeah. for removing the children from that set of circumstances, from right. isolating, you know, while yeah. help yeah. is being got. Not divorce, but a protective right. kind of circumstance. It, sure. And sometimes that kind of um, change in the family life is an incentive for the the person who has the difficulty to begin to address 
their problems. But um, it's a very hard circumstance, and you need to. You can't do this alone. You've got to do this if this yeah. is you're describing your own circumstance um, with others helping out. But I, I yeah. want to recommend a movie to you that's been around a long, long time. But it it's yeah. not. It's about alcoholism, but it does capture a little bit. Sure. Of this con- kind of concern that you're facing, it's called the days okay. of days of wine and roses. Jack okay. Jack Lemon is the is the husband the male the husband in this, and then okay. his wife uh, whatever, and they struggle with alcoholism, and then there is a separation that happens. Yeah. Um, well, one person gets straight, and the other person's not willing to go straight yet, and so th- right. it's just right. necessary. So there are no yeah. children involved, but I just think that it. This will present a kind of a backdrop, and it's a secular movie, obviously. But it's uh, yeah. and it's and it's an it's 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 an anguished kind of film. You know, it just yeah. it's right. hard on the heart, but it helps you. I think it will help you. I'm just going to recommend that. But okay. uh, I, I, that. if you are, if a person is involved, we will in a family and a yeah. spouse where the other spouse is a is drug addicted and it's hurting the children. Then uh, it certainly strikes me as the kind of circumstance that a separation, at least for a period of time, is appropriate for the protection of the children and um, and the and the in the sense the injured spouse, but it also for the good of the person who has the problem, because then there's no opportunity for enablement. The people get an understanding that their behaviors are causing problems and yeah. damage and they yeah. there's consequences to their behaviors yeah there there is but uh, unfortunately it's a little bit more complicated when it's prescribed and it so it's justified right and that i won't get into all that it's wrong and what they're doing is is very bad it's a uh, very dangerous and yeah destroying. well they, they got doctors med- i mean we can go on i can no that's on, all right but, but in general that. that's okay but the, the there's a there's something in general that you work with every one of these circumstances is complicated you know yeah. kevin and yeah. i mean unfortunately this is it's terribly complicated it's, and, it's hard it's terrible yeah and, yes, and, yes it is yes it is so i and yeah. i I'm, I'm i'm very sympathetic and i'm sorry and and mm-hmm. i there but I identify with that kind of play probably more than you would realize. Let me just leave it at that. Um, because everybody has, well, I shouldn't say everybody. I just identify with it personally. Yeah. Okay. You, you, know, you, know, sir, you know, I'm going to hang up because I know you got other calls, but I just want to end on this. What you said was very thoughtful, very kind, and as Christians, you know, just that encouragement, just being able to, this is why we, we, we suffer with those who suffer. And it's so important for Christians. We're not perfect, but we go out, that's right. And, That's right. And, and, oh, I'm losing you a little bit there. Yeah, just, 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 just offer encouragement. It, it, it just makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kevin, okay, God, brother, brother, God bless you, and I'm um, yeah, like I said, you, my sympathies to you, and thank uh, you. and maybe give me a call back in six months, and we'll talk again. Okay. You got it, my friend. Thank God bless you. you. Oh, thank and you, Kev. Bye-bye. Let's go right to Nicholas, who's been waiting here uh, from Brentwood, Tennessee. Hello, Nicholas. Hello. How are you? So you're a Christian, right? Uh, newly Christian. I actually okay. am 27. And, well, I was just uh, going to make a joke that you're now, now you're a St. Nicholas. Yes, sir. That's what I got my whole life. But now it's, uh, <laughs> I would say, a little more official. 
So go ahead. I, I, I did cut you off with my, my, my goofy joke, but uh, so what's your situation, Nicholas? Um, so I'm 27. I actually just started seeking out my faith and okay, good for you. Uh, living my life through Christ. And I was curious as to what ideals and virtues encompass Christian masculinity. Uh-huh. And as a follow-up, how do I, as a new Christian, like emulate and I would say live these values in a practical way on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. so that I can edify myself, the people around me, and those at my church? Sure. Well, that, that, these are, this is a really sweet question because it shows your personal integrity and desire to walk with integrity um, on, a, on a consistent basis. It's a tall order, especially the second half. Let me say, talk about the first half, because the second half, there's a lot that's involved, and you're a fairly new Christian, and I guess, let me just speak to the second half. I think that the idea that it sounds like you're involved in, in a fellowship, you're with other Christians, you're, you're meeting uh, in a local church or some, doing something, that's great. You've got a community of Christians to work with, okay? That's fabulous, and that's going to make the biggest difference, especially if you're responsive to leadership and people have access to your life and they're able to to mentor you and give correction where is necessary, okay? And if you stay teachable and you're in a mentoring relationship with somebody who will who will kindly and graciously give you feedback on, on your life and help you, then that's going to stand you in really good stead, okay? I know it's kind of general, but that was the biggest thing in my own life, and I've been a Christian 49 years, and it's many, many years that God's been working on me, okay? And um, and thankfully, there's been progress over 49 years, but so <laughs> stay close to your fellowship, stay in the Word, and, and try to nurture your personal relationship with God, seeking to live out the virtues that you read about as you study Scripture, okay? I mean, that's a very, very general, but I'll also say that there's going to be difficult times when God disciplines you in His own way, puts you through hard things that are going to be hard for you to figure out what's going on. But that happens to everyone. And so I'm just warning you in advance. I remember my first couple months as a Christian. Actually, I became a Christian the end of September 19. Uh, 78, and I entered, let me make that uh, 1973, and then I, I entered the New Year's in tears before the Lord. Okay, so I'm three months in, and the honeymoon was over, all right, and God was working on me. So um, just saying, don't be surprised when something like that happens, okay? But I did want to address this other this other issue that you made reference to, and it has to do with masculinity and um um, how did you put that? Ideals and virtues that encompass masculinity. I'm glad that you've asked this, and I'm looking at the clock. i got about six minutes. I'm glad that you asked this, Nicholas, because I do think this is, has become a problem in our culture and also, therefore, in the Church. And um, I, let's see, Jordan Peterson actually gave a talk about this, um, I heard it on William Lane Craig's podcast because they had pieces of it, and then Bill Craig was responding to it. But you might, 
I think it's like a warning to the church or a word to the church or some title like that, that um, he, that Jordan Peterson, who's fairly well known, you can find him easily on, on Google, gave, and it was about masculinity. And he's written some books, too, to encourage men to be men. And so, uh, because I think the culture has worked very hard at feminizing men in general and putting men down for their so-called toxic masculinity and, and then replacing them with women. So the women become more like men and the men become more like women. This is not a good thing. And I think in my view and consistent with God's purposes, viva la difference, right? Men should be men and women should be women and their differences. And even though both genders, sexes can share similar kinds of virtues, I think that what is most important in this is a very general as a generalization, but just looking at it, women were made to women. Huh. Now I'm being very careful how I say these things because it's too easy to misunderstand them in this culture. Women bear children, men don't. Women bear children and nurture children. Men care for women and children by protecting them and providing for them. This is obvious from biology. All you have to do is look. Okay, I'm not talking about value differences. I'm talking about physical differences and role differences as a human species. And therefore, the kinds of things that are virtues for different sexes, male or female, relate, I think, to the natural function that human beings, that God has ordained human beings, males and females, to function, to uh, perform together. So this means, I think, men are the ones who are the protectors. So that means they are the ones that are, need to have the most courage to stand up against opposition that might threaten the family. All right. And that means and, and they're the ones who need to provide for the family. If mom's nursing children, caring for infants, she's not out there beating the brush for critters and, and find a game. Dad does that. OK. And so there are there are certain, I think, characteristics. Te um, I don't want to say temperaments, but characteristics that are inherent for each one of those. So women are protective and nurturing and guarding and holding close. Men, fathers, are protecting and providing. So there's a, an assertiveness, I think, that is a part of being a, a, a masculine, an appropriately masculine man. A willingness to face the problems, to, as, as they say here around the office, get her done, okay? Here's the problem. All right, we're going to fix it. We're just going to get her done. We're not going to moan and cry and whatever. We're just going to get her done. Let's get it done. Let's fix the problem. I'm not saying women can't fix the problem, but I think men are most are more the problem solvers because women are are um, are more the nurturers and caring for the family. They were made that way by God, which is why the scriptures kind of reflect that kind of thing. Now, some people might object that that sounds so patriarchal. Well, I don't know. This is nature, and it's God. It's not a power trip, men over women. It's their different jobs. But I know in my own family, my wife, being the mother, is more protective. And for me, 
I want my girls to go out and experience the world. And so there's that tension. Dad's pushing girls out into the world or sons and uh, and mom's trying to hold them in. And they need mom and dad for the best care, I guess. But from a masculine perspective, I think men being decisive, being strong, being courageous, being problem solvers, being workers, workers, this is our job. We got to get this done. You know, I got work to do. I got to get it finished. Those kind of values expressed in those words, to me, I think those are at the heart of what it means to be masculine um, and uh it's strong, not abusive, not harsh, not controlling in inappropriate ways, but being in charge of, of family and other things that are their responsibility to be in charge of. And I, I see a, a lot of, uh, well, let me put it in the negative. Uh, let me put it a little differently. What, what, I see, what I don't see is those kinds of characteristics being nurtured in men in society on a regular basis. I see rather men being put down for their aggressiveness and for their yes, male toxicity, and therefore they can't, they don't provide, they don't care for, they don't protect, they don't do the kinds of things that men, I think, are uniquely equipped and responsible to do. Anyway, there's a mouthful, Nicholas. I just thank you for your call, and uh, I just kind of powered it out there in the last six minutes, but I hope that's helpful, and I appreciate your question. Great Coco here at Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, friends. Bye-bye now. <laughs> 